Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Like many people say, he's, he's, he's good. Like He has done so many good, good things. It's the kind of Jesus that they have heard, probably through their relationship with others. I've heard him say that he's everything to them. People say that Jesus is, I've heard him call a friend, I've heard him call um, Savior. That he's very judgmental and that um, if he loves, how can he not love everybody just the way they are? I think most people would say Jesus is, uh, is a prophet. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He was raised from the dead, and he lives forevermore. I think people say Jesus is this little um, baby in a manger. Well, some people say he was a prophet. Some people say he was a, a good person. Some people say he was God. Because he's my Savior, and he had redeemed me, and he he bought me with that price. First of all, my friend, my father. I enjoy calling him my father, um, and definitely my deliverer. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's our Savior. Jesus is my best friend. Um, a high priest interceding at the right hand of the Father for me. And he's a bridegroom that's longing to be back by my side. Jesus, I know, is the one that's there all the time. Is it within me? Is it anyone that calls the name of Jesus? My Lord and Savior, my everything, is the reason why I wake up. He's the reason why I breathe. Uh, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last. He's the Word. He's life. He's my all in all. He's everything. Uh, he is my Redeemer, but my hope in the darkness. I think of him as my comforter, my shield, my perfecter. Hello everyone again. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm lead pastor here at Lighthouse. Thanks for being here today. And uh, that's the question we're trying to answer through this Christ Christmas season is, who is Jesus? And then the question I think that we have to answer for ourselves is, who is Jesus to me? Um, so we're in this series titled, Who is This Jesus? And every week we're, we're talking about who Jesus is. We're talking about different characteristics of Christ. Uh, we're going to look at two different ones every week. And last week uh, we had a message about Jesus being just and merciful. And if you missed that one, I'd encourage you to check it out. Because each week we're looking at, you know, two characteristics, but they tend to be opposite characteristics. How can Jesus be just and be merciful at the same time? Well, he can. God can do anything that he wants. So that he, Jesus is just and he is merciful. And so today we're going to look at a couple more characteristics of Christ. And uh, we have a special treat today because we have a really good friend of mine who's going to share the first characteristic. David Merle, come on, come on up here. You guys want to make him feel welcome. David uh, is a good friend of mine. We used to work together at another church. He's pastored a church before. 
Um, David and Kim and their son, Dave Jr., have started attending our church. That was one of my early Christmas presents was when David (laughs) told me (laughs) this past summer, really, that they were going to start attending Lighthouse. And uh, so I'm excited about having him share today. Hopefully, we're going to see more and more of him up here on the stage. But let me pray for him and pray for our message. So God, I thank you uh, for your word that is true, and I thank you for this Christmas season um, where we get to focus on your son, Jesus, and his birth, but more than his birth, his life. So Lord, I pray that you would give uh, just David your words to speak, and and myself also as I come up for the second point, and uh, we praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if your Christmas gift is for me to hang out with you more, your bar is pretty low. Your bar, it must be easy for Rose to pick up Clint some. <laughs> Let's give Clint a coffee card and hang out with David. That'll be Merry Christmas. So anyway, <clears throat> um, I'm going to start by answering the question, who is Jesus, by saying Jesus is patient. Jesus is patient. Now, I have a few scriptures I'm going to share to help illustrate that, and I'm going to illustrate that from the relationship between Jesus and Peter. It'll likely just be easiest for you, because I have a few texts I'm going to go to, it would likely be easiest for you to just follow along on the screen, and um, if you want to write down the references and read them for yourself later, that would be great as well. So uh, John 18, 10 through 11, it says this. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So this is just an illustration where Jesus has had to correct Peter's action, at least on one occasion. But we're going to pick up in Matthew 16, 21 through 23, and we're going to see Jesus have to demonstrate some patience with Peter again. Starting in verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So there's another time that Peter's like trying to get ahead of Jesus or just kind of off the rails from where Jesus is going. Luke 5, 4 through 6, it says this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Again, another place where Jesus and Peter were just thinking differently, going about things differently. And last week, Clint had communicated about how Jesus had shown Peter mercy 
because Peter had denied Jesus, but yet we see Peter go on to be fully restored as a disciple and get the great privilege of giving the first message on the day of Pentecost. And that's because not only of the mercy, but of the patience that Jesus continued to demonstrate in the relationship that he had with Peter. Before I move on, let me give you a little bit of an operating definition of patience. Patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate, delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Let me read that again. Patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. And I would specifically add that while patience may be something we exercise with, you know, maybe things that we're going through, but it's something that we have to exercise with others. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus and Peter. We see Jesus giving a lot of patience to Peter. Now, here's the thing about patience. Man, in society, in culture, we are not talking about this enough. In, you know, in culture, we, we are not doing things to cultivate more patience in our life or in our society. Like the amount of technology, and I'm, I'm all about technology, but the things that used to take families just hours to do to complete the amount of housework they had, because of technology, it's accelerated our ability to get some of these things done and done quickly. And it's affected things. Have you ever gone back and maybe watched a movie for even 20 years ago? You can tell the pace at which they tell the story has accelerated. And that's because the general population is just becoming increasingly more patient, impatient, increasingly more impatient. Like, we even have to have on our phone a little indicator that the text is read because we just can't wait to know, did they read our text or get our email? Or how many times have you said, man, will they just respond? Because we're impatient. We used to have to be in the same room to talk to people. (laughs) Not anymore. And so... You know, but the church is not exempt from this. Let Clint go on a little longer. Let the worship team sing that extra song. And it will impact the amount of people that come up for ministry time. Man, we should be patient with this stuff. If you need God, it shouldn't matter if Clint went over a little bit. Come get the touch that you need. We've got to be Patient. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13.4. This is called the love chapter. You've probably heard this read at weddings, seen on plaques. You're likely familiar with aspects of it. And it's a list. And so Paul's describing what love is. And he starts by saying, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Now, biblically, anytime you see a list... A lot of times, the things 
at the start of the list and at the end of the list are being emphasized as important. So check that out when Paul's describing what love is. The first thing he mentions is patient. Love is patient. It's that important when you're... We, we know here at Lighthouse that we should love others. That's part of our mission statement, or our purpose statement. We love others. And so to love others, to live out that purpose, we have got to be patient with others. But it's more than something we should do. It's something we should be as well. It should be a part of who we are. If we go to Galatians 5.22 through 33, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. This list is actually a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so that word forbearance means patience. In the King James Version, it uses the word long-suffering. And so as Christians, we just, not only should be we growing in patience, but it should be who we are. It should be a part of what, how people describe us as believers. We should be patient. Unfortunately, you have a speaker today that doesn't always live this out. And so I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Recently, I went to Taco Bell. <laughs> Post-pandemic, the word fast food just means something totally different. They don't have the employees they need. I'll try to keep this story short. I walk in, and um, I was paying cash. They told me to place my order on the kiosk. And um, everybody else that was paying with card placed their order on the kiosk. So ultimately, there was some confusion about when I fell into the order line. So things didn't get started off real well. But to the best of my ability, it looked like everyone in the restaurant in the lobby had placed their order after me. And so then I see the manager uh, walk off to get something, and there was an employee on the line um, not making any food, so I happened to think that I needed to help him. <laughs> and I say, hey, you should make the order for David. He says... Oh, she's going to get chalupas. I go, good. I didn't get chalupas. One of the ladies' um, customers starts uh, verbally assaulting me, to put it nice. Hey, you weren't here any longer than anyone else, raising her tone, saying words that I can't say here on Sunday morning. And so I just try to explain, hey, I... Oh, because now another customer had got their order that I know, or at least am convinced, had placed the order after me. And so I say, and so I say no, see, I, I, just things are out of order. People are being served. And, and then people are like, no, you know, then the whole restaurant, all of the customers start to yell and assault and cuss at me. And I'm like, what have I done? So, I, I try to pull it together a little bit. The manager even actually had to holler out, like, not in my restaurant, to all the customers. Long story short, I survived and got my food. But for what? Like, if a, what for what? I, I could have demonstrated more patience. Patience would have helped that very meaningless interaction. 
could have changed the environment. So here's my point. Write this down. This is your fill-in. Exercising patience improves the atmosphere at Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm kidding. Exercising patience improves the atmosphere in your life. Exercising patience improves the atmosphere in your life. And if it improves the atmosphere in Taco Bell and environments like that, it's going to improve some situations that are, going to be, that are going to matter in your life. How you interact with your spouse, your child, some other at work. So here's my question. Take a moment and ask yourself the following question while I turn it back over to Clint. Where can I demonstrate more patience? Where can I demonstrate more patience? Thank you. See, that's why you're a good Christmas gift to me. <laughs> Love David. Love David. All right, so Jesus is patient. Jesus is patient. It's all throughout Scripture. But also, I want to emphasize that Jesus is driven. That's your second point. Jesus is also driven. Um, I'm actually going to walk through a section of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke. And you can turn to Luke chapter 9 if you want to follow along. But in this example, we're going to see where Jesus was driven towards a goal. Um, so in Luke chapter 9, um, we're going to be in verse 22 as our starting point. But at that point, Jesus is in the town, in the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was north of the Sea of Galilee. Here's an image of where it's at. And then if you would blow up the map, if all the way down here, 120 miles, is Jerusalem. So this is where kind of his journey begins. He's in Bethsaida. And so in verse 10, Jesus starts this journey by feeding the 5,000. So that's where he starts, feeds 5,000. And then he begins his mission, and he explains his mission in verse 22. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he states this mission, this final mission, is that he needs to go to Jerusalem and die and be raised again. And so he begins this journey, this trek from 120 miles north down towards Jerusalem. On his way, he goes up on a mountain to pray. And this is verse 29. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment. At Jerusalem. So he's on a mountain and he sees Moses and Elijah. And what's their topic of conversation? His final mission. His final mission to go to Jerusalem, to die and then to rise again and, and depart from this planet up into heaven. And then verse 51 says, At the, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he's on his way. And people are coming up to him, and they're wanting to be taught. So he's, he's teaching them, and then he's, he's healing them, and he's casting out demons. But 
he's resolutely making his trek 120 miles south down towards Jerusalem. Uh, along the way, the Pharisees get jealous because all of these crowds are, are coming around Jesus. And uh, they're, they're telling him to leave the area, you know, go back to Galilee. And uh, in verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus says, In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. So he makes it down to Jericho, where Mary and Martha are at, and he, and he stays at their house. Uh, but he doesn't stay there. He continues on. And then we've all kind of seen the, the images where Jesus is riding on a colt, you know, into Jerusalem. And that happened um, on the Sunday before Jesus is crucified, on Palm Sunday. So Jesus rides the colt into Jerusalem. He finally arrives. And then five days later, in the middle of the night, early Friday morning, Jesus is arrested. And that he knows this is, this is why I came. I came to be arrested and to die. That's why I came. It was his goal. It was his mission. But then they mess it up. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they can't find anything wrong with him. So they, they have these, these witnesses come up, and they, they can't agree on any of the charges. And so finally, the high priest in Mark chapter 14 steps up, and he says, um, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Now, before this week, I never really caught that point that they couldn't have murdered Jesus. They couldn't have killed him if Jesus didn't self-condemn. You see, Jesus knew the reason that he was going to Jerusalem was to die. The reason that he lived was to willingly lay his life down as a sacrifice for our sins. And he lived a perfect life because the sacrifice had to be perfect. So they couldn't find anything wrong with him. But Jesus, in his drivenness, he's like, okay, then I'll, in your mind, I'll blaspheme and I'll say that I, I am the Messiah. He was just speaking the truth. But if he had never spoken up, they would have never been able to convict him as worthy of death. Jesus was driven. But how about you? That's a question for us today. Are you driven towards a goal? Are you driven? Do you have goals in your life? Because Jesus knew what his goal was. And he was driven towards it, and nothing was going to stop him from accomplishing it. In 2007, I was faced with a situation where I wasn't sure what my goals were. Uh, I, was, I was given an opportunity to quit my job at Memorial Hospital and go into full-time ministry. And I wasn't sure if that fit into my life goals or not. And so I, 
I took some time and, and prayed and fasted and had a personal retreat, and I wrote out my life mission statement. Um, and this is a shortened version of it. I want to share it with you today. So the first part of my life mission statement is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, that's the first and greatest commandment. And so that just became part of my life mission statement. And, and so I'll tell you, I have not accomplished that yet. I'm working towards it and will continue to work towards that. But that's a top priority for me. And my goals need to align up with that uh, part of my mission statement. The second one is to love and serve my wife in such a way that I'm a joy to her. That's tough. That's tough because it's, it's really dependent on her opinion of me, right? I mean, that's, but that's what God gave me because that's what matters. It's not, I'm not going to stand before God one day and go, well, I loved her, you know, good. And he's going to go, what, what did she, how did she feel? Did she feel love? And so that's my second part of my mission statement. The third one is to raise and train my children to love God, respect authority, and have a desire to serve him. And I'm, you know, my youngest is 20, so I'm pretty much done with this whole raising kids thing. Um, but I think we've done pretty good. Our kids do pretty well. They love God, respect authority, and serve him, and that's exciting for me. Um, and then my last part of my my life mission statement that I wrote back in 2000, 2007 is to reach thousands for Jesus. And uh, when, I was, when I was writing that, I wrote, to reach hundreds for Jesus. And, and Jesus said, uh, no, I think you need to go bigger. I'm like, no, Jesus, that's good. Hundreds, good. But no, um, but Jesus said, no, you need to put thousands. And so that's, that's a goal that, that I have in my life is just to reach thousands for Jesus. And I think Lighthouse and all that you guys are doing here is part of that mission. And so when I look in my life, and, and, and things in my life, I, I look at them and say, do they line up with my mission statement? And if they do, then it's a, it's a goal that is worth being driven towards. Um, if we were to write down Jesus' life mission statement, if I was to be so bold, I think it might have looked something like this. To love my Father in heaven, love people as myself, to live a sinless life, and to die a sacrificial death. And at 33 years old, Jesus might have said, all right, I've, I've loved God. I've loved people. I've lived a sinless life. But I haven't died that sacrificial death yet. i got to check that one off. And so in his drivenness, Jesus went after that. I mean, even to the point where he had to give the high priest ammunition to try him and convict him in the end because he was driven to die a sacrificial death for my sins and for yours. Guys, it's okay to be driven towards a goal, but you need to check what your goals are. They need to be godly goals for sure. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar says this, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. That's your fill-in. And it's true. There's a section of scripture that talks about being tossed back and forth by the winds and uh, the waves of the sea. And that's not the way that we are supposed to live our lives. We are supposed to have goals. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me, Jesus has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, 
it's okay to be driven in our walk with Christ, but we need to have those goals that line up with Scripture, that line up with God's calling in our life. So if you don't have a life mission statement, I would encourage you, you know, we're approaching near the end of the year. Uh, Many of you will probably have a day or two off. Um, Set aside some time to sit with God and just review what he may be calling you to um, line your life up with. Because we only have one life, right? I mean, that's it. It's just on this planet, we have just one life. Let's not waste it. Let's be intentional about what we're going to spend our time on. And by the way, in case there was a question, no one's purpose in life is to watch every show on Netflix. I just want to throw that out. That should not be anyone's purpose in life. And so when we spend hours and hours and hours entertaining ourselves watching online shows, I I would just say that's probably not lining up with anyone's life mission statement. So take some time over this uh, next Christmas, or over the next few weeks, um, and write out a mission statement if, if you don't have one. And if you have no idea, there's a great book out there called The Purpose Driven Life uh, by Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren. If you've never read that book, I would encourage you to pick it up and read it. Really, really helpful on helping you to know uh, what your life mission statement might be. Okay? So those are our two characteristics of Christ. Jesus is patient and he is driven. Uh, And those are two things, two characteristics that we can emulate in our lives as well. I'm going to invite David to come up here and we are going to um, have an opportunity for prayer as we close as well. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.